Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? I'm Gaz and with me as usual is my good friend Baz who's back every Saturday. How are you doing Baz? I'm good. You say it as usual. It's not that usual. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good thanks mate. Good to be back. Suntanned and glorious. Indeed. At least one of those is correct. And <laughs> it was nice last time to get uh, Guy Milder on so uh, big thanks to our stunt Baz who came on to talk about investigative games which got some good chats going on Discord and other internet forums so it was, it was nice to get some feedback from one of our shows as well Yeah, I, I listened to the show mate, I, I was going to write in <laughs> I thought that might, I could just save and catch up with you now Oh, he's what, that, 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 that guy is worryingly good I'm, I don't know how I feel about this at all. That man knows his games. It was a really interesting cast. Good listen. And um, yeah, good to see some people uh, having a bit of a think about their games as well, um, about their experiences and reporting back to us on those. That was good to see. Yeah, yeah. Did enjoy that. And, and talking about thinking of games and experiences, there's a there's a bit of a renaissance going around in the air, I think. There has been for some time. And, and I don't mean OSR. I mean actually looking back at old games on the shelves. Part of this... I think is driven by people looking at the shelves going, oh God, I bought all these games and a lot of them I've not had to the table yet. Part of it is reminiscing about games that you used to play. Some of it is Kickstarters that are re-releasing classic editions of stuff. So there is a big thing at the minute, or so it seems within my circles, that a lot of people are kind of looking back rather than necessarily at the current or forward. And I suppose the open question is, should you ever go back? <laughs> Can you? Can you can you ever go back? Is it a good idea to go back to something? Um, well, I mean, I, yeah, there's, there's, there is a lot of that around, mate. I agree. I think it's a good topic to look at. You know, um, what are you, you look at the new releases, and you look at gaming plans that people post about on social media, and sometimes the two are not necessarily that lined up. People are talking about the stuff that they have on their shelves that they ne perhaps never got round to doing back in the day. Um, or they were doing, but it went on to a hiatus. Loads of different reasons why, you know, to pick an example out of the air, why somebody might not have ever really got into that Deadlands book that they bought mm. back in the early 2000s, perhaps, something like that. And yeah. um, there's loads of stuff. It's, it's, like, it's like a bit, it's getting the jolt of electricity through it again, isn't it? Stuff <laughs> is being reanimated and maybe remixed or rejuvenated in some way. Uh, and, and sometimes that's just us as gamers. But just as often, I think the thing that's prompted our conversation tonight is we're seeing this quite a lot from publishers, what with Kickstarter as a platform, seeing things that were stuff like Feng Shui 2, which is not exactly a new release these days, but Over the Edge has come back, Unknown Armies has come back, all of these games come back, Warhammer's come back, as so much of that is done through Kickstarter as well, which definitely gets a community up and buzzing for what's old is new. Yeah, definitely. And even a few years ago, I was running some Earth Dawn at a convention because you just, I think occasionally, if you're as old as us, maybe our younger listeners or more recent people to RPGs might not get this as much, understandably, but you kind of think back to student days or some of the time when you played a great campaign and, and a mm. game that you've talked about with fondness for a lot of you know, years in some cases and think, well, oh, I should do that again. Let's crack it out. Let's you know get the old books out. Look at your name penciled in the front cover and <laughs> try to try, almost try and relive the, relive the glory. Is for us, it's never going to be the same as when we were nineteen and students and could spend all day Saturday playing a game and do that every Saturday with uh, no no adulting needed or other things that we had to get on and do. Uh, and unfortunately, in the uh, in the modern day, we can't do that. We've got responsibilities and mortgages and things. But 
Um, there's still something to be said for trying to like, recapture those like jewels, the extra bits. I think part of it is wanting to get some of the nostalgia, isn't it? Even if you just play the game as, as new, with a new new scenario, or a new fresh yeah. colour paint, it's trying to capture some of that feeling you had and, and evoke some memories from the old games back in the day. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of nostalgia. I love a bit of nostalgia. It's a warm, nice feeling. Um, mm. as, long, as long as, I think, as long as you know that's what it is. You know, yes. don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that that might necessarily turn into any kind of gameable action. <laughs> I think, you know, you can you can look at a bunch of re-releases or look back across your gaming shelves, and I think it's nice to feel nostalgic, especially with the hobby that we're talking about. When we talk about role-playing games, we are talking about experiences that we've had round tables, aren't we? Yes. You know, you and I can go back decades and talk about games we played with, with our mutual friends, talk about the experiences we had, that Shadow Run that went wrong, that Earthdawn quest that went right, you know, that traveller character that never made it to session one. And these are all our experiences. And that means they're just memories. And due to our advancing years, I guess we can always put a bit of a rose-coloured tint over our spectacles with this stuff as well. So you don't tend to remember. You know, All Day Saturday Gaming, which you brought up, sounds lovely, doesn't it? But actually, it probably wasn't all brilliant for those 14-hour sessions, was it? There was probably a lot of mucking about in the middle and, and boring bits and what have you. But of course, nostalgia does a really good job of smoothing off all the old edges. All the old grievances are forgotten, all the boring bits, all the dodgy GM calls. And yeah. it just feels like, oh, why can't we play Rollmaster for 12 hours solid? Because it's going to be consistently brilliant, isn't it? I remember the good bits. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trouble, isn't it? You just get the edited highlight reel and not the, uh, the full <laughs> yeah. marathon, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do love nostalgia. I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. And it's good to wallow in it sometimes. And again, our hobby is really, really good at that. And and I think I think nostalgia's marketable as well, isn't it? And and fine, why not? When you look at some of the Kickstarters, um, I, I guess we should talk about Warhammer because that's kind of where we're at at the moment, isn't it? Our, our weekly group is is looking to get some Warhammer played. We've played quite a bit of Warhammer Four since it's come out, but we're looking at the enemy within campaign now, and that's a really interesting trip because that's been revised, re-edited, and it's a really good example of the sort of thing we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Game systems come along, and there's a new edition, rave reviews, glorious starter set, loads of good adventures coming out for it, new and old. But those old ones have been repackaged, rebuffed, and got original designers back, and it's a bit like the Ridley Scott director's cut of Aliens, you know. It's like, <laughs> oh, this this would be worth seeing, you know. And um, and I think it will be worth seeing. But it is also a massive nostalgia trip, and nostalgia, as I read through it, is just kicking in so hard, reminding me of the first two or three times I ran the enemy within campaign. And I still know some of the guys that I played it with as well. And it's such a driving force because we've we've committed to like getting it back to our table, haven't we? And and I'm nervous about it. Is it going to live up? It can it live up to what we're talking about, what we're thinking about, what we're hoping for? You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Yes. And um, part of your sort of things like should should we just do something new? Should we should we not touch that hallowed ground in case we profane it just by the act of uh, treading upon it once more? But I think it's probably worth doing. I think, but I think the worry is, or the the concern is, that you might have to fiddle with it to make it fit into modern sensibilities. Yeah. And like anything, as soon as you start messing with it, 
you kind of you don't want to end up with like that picture of Christ from the the, the, the cleaning lady tried to retouch up and end up with a completely different face on it. It was like <laughs> some, like, like a Pokemon or something by the time she finished. Like you kind of you want to change it to make it good and make it better, but you also don't want to change it because you don't want to lose what's there. And it, there's a really weird thing when you've been somewhere before and it might be like you say decades ago so you've forgotten a lot of the fine detail and you've just got the broad brushes how much do you change things because I think to be fair for like Warhammer and many other games that we could mention that are now sort of republishing the original stuff as it stood doesn't quite stand up to the test of time necessarily there are definitely things in there that 30, 40 years later you wouldn't write now and I'm sure the original writers wouldn't, but there's a certain of its time element to a lot of stuff. Mm. That's absolutely the case with Warhammer. Uh, Warhammer, back in the day, back in the late '80s, um, was very, very current. Uh, and by that, you know, one of the nice things about Warhammer was that it was full of puns, full of really good little yeah. allusions to real life. And there's, you know, there's NPCs in the Enemy Within campaign that are based on Torval and Dean. Now that's not exactly <laughs> cutting edge <laughs> pop culture these days, is it? Um, I haven't I haven't actually read that far ahead to see if Torval Undine, the elven ice skater, is still in power. Right? <laughs> uh, maybe it's been changed to what I don't know, PJ and Duncan or something, Ant and Deck. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> you know, you've got things like uh, there was uh, the scroll tax, uh, which was uh, introduced by uh, Empress Marguerite. And yes. those are great. And, and one of the nice things about the Warhammer stuff is that the original authors, uh, I think of Graham Davis in particular, still on board and has had a chance to go back and retouch these things and bring them back up to speed, not just from a rules perspective, but just tighten up the whole thing generally. Um, and it's really good to get the original designers back in there chipping away at their old stuff because I think I think they're on record as saying that you know they were working for Games Workshop at the time, so it's like we need four campaigns by Thursday lunchtime, please. <laughs> <laughs> so they've had decades now to go back to it. But so in in that sense, stuff like the Warhammer campaigns have been retouched up by the designers, and that feels like it's got the the official sign of approval that yeah. they will have they would have maybe taken out some of the some of the the sillier elements or stuff that just doesn't work for the modern audience. Uh, perhaps a better example would be um, I'm not sure what your experience is of, of this Gaza Master of Nyalathotep and some of the reprints that KSEM have been doing with those uh, my understanding is that they've like really adjusted some of the scenes in those and brought mm. them up to like to the proper spec for what should be happening in 21st century gaming yeah and, and, and added more filler in as well and, and preparatory scenarios and, th- and tried mm. to make things fit together a bit better and all that kind of stuff. Like I do wonder. It's an odd one, isn't it? As I was saying, we've not got the time anymore necessarily, but people are still having a good go at things like masks. I know at least yeah. three different groups that are running it, and it's like, how can you, how can you possibly help to get masks in with extra stuff in it and with all this other yeah. stuff? Um, so the the big old projects, but it's not stopping people getting involved. One of the things I'm looking at at the minute is running Quest Two because um, a good friend at the Grognoid Files are going to be running Grog Meet. I think are both an online and a, a meat space version later in the year if, if everything goes to plan so I'm thinking that would be an excellent place to run some requests here but just looking through the book the, just the way the sentences are constructed and some of the things that it tells you to do in there it's, I've been having a bit of fun with it on Twitter but it's quite amusing to read and it does read very much like one of the first role playing games because when they were writing it like I, th- I suppose today you've got lots of examples you can book into and you can kind of like know what you might want to put or want to say but back then you didn't really so 
there's like this really clear style of trying to tell people what to do and trying to cover everything at once almost and like lots of spot rules and things that you think wouldn't matter but obviously are things that have come up in their personal campaigns and stuff so the writing's a little bit all over the place and some of the things they put detail in you think why would anyone care about this and some of the things that seem glaring emissions aren't there but there's no template and i think that's that's actually quite attractive to the game it's 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 an odd thing you, you've got to take all these old products certainly if they've not been retouched with a pinch of salt i think mm. and, and do some of your own work with it to to kind of work out how you want it to fit stuff but there's equally i feel like a little bit like an archaeologist or something kind of going back and looking at the rate with the way things were but in 1970s or 80s which is actually quite a long time ago although we don't like to have it is yeah it is mate there's a lot of water has gone under the bridge since then um both in gaming and of course in, in our personal lives too so you know i'm not a 13 year old lad anymore Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know people say don't they that when you're 13 the stuff that you're really into is the stuff that you're going to be into forever that's where you find your passions you know and uh, that's certainly certainly the case but I can't go back to being 13 uh, and I can't you know the, these days when I generate a character I always used to say my characters were 21 years old I don't know why but when I was 13 I always used to put 21 because that was like the sign of an adult to me then you know an adventurer Stepping out on the road from their cottage with their battle axe over their shoulder should be about 21, you know, mature enough to make some fighting decisions. And now when I put 21 on my character sheets, I assume I'm playing some kind of child. It doesn't seem <laughs> so like I'm a lot way. further away from it on the other <laughs> side. <laughs> yeah, I do remember the old day where I wanted an old grizzled veteran. He was like 32 or something. Yeah. That, that seemed like ancient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Traveller adventurers, you know, when you got... Nobody ever took a traveller adventure from the 50s, did they? And now, of course, I'm thinking... What? I'm as spry as I ever was, young whippersnapper. <laughs> I could journey on a far trader with anybody. Just give me a moment to get out of this chair, will you? <laughs> and if you look at Pendragon when you have to start making gauging rolls, it's not good. <laughs> no, it's not. So you can't ever really truly go back from that perspective. But you can go and and you can go and try and rekindle the the things that made you excited then can still make you excited now, can't they? So you know, you tell me, guys, are you are you still like flicking the pages of Fangs or whatever it is, getting to like Scorpion Men and think and rubbing your hands together mentally and going, oh, lovely, lovely, the way you were back in the day? Um, yeah, well, not the way I was back in the day. I'm equally as excited, but in a different way. As you say, like initially uh, back in the day, it was all kind of like a new world of exploration and discovery and like oh what's this mm. whereas now it's more like flicking through cults of terror going fed oh I forgot about fed oh yeah cool <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> but yes that's it it's, it's almost like uh, rediscovering things again so it, it's it's not new to you but like there'll be new there'll be details that feel like they're new because you'll have forgotten mm-hmm. so that that's the kind of experience I'm having. I think you get that same sort of thing from Warhammer and all the other games that we sort of will be talking about tonight that you kind of remember core bits and then as you read it again there'll be details that you missed I think part of that's that 13 year old brain that you're talking about that what you took off the page uh, initially you might have missed some of the in jokes or some of the nuance or the cleverness or the way plots tied together or callbacks or all these other kind of stuff that's probably brilliant and, and crafted in there lovingly but as a 13-year-old, you missed because you were just looking for the monster stats or something mm. like that, perhaps. Uh, so it's good as well to sort of kind of pick out gems from old books as well that you probably didn't even realise the first time. You read the words and didn't fully comprehend them. So I think that's one aspect as well when, when you're looking back, as well as you know the mist of time eroding some of the things that you, you remember and just you rediscovered. It's like watch, when you watch a TV series that you haven't watched for quite a long time 
and there's bits in it that you, you know, you remember that guy gets shot at the end of the second episode, but you forget about the big reveal halfway through the episode about X, Y, and Z, you know, that kind of stuff. And having been through it several times as we might have been for various campaigns, you've also got the experience of what happened with those players, mm-hmm. which gives you almost like a forewarning of what could happen. And I think means you're better armed to run it again. I know you said you're slightly nervous about enemy within, but mm. you know, you've seen three or four different groups go through each of the stages. So you've got some idea of what might happen, even though as with any group of players, we could take it in a completely different direction or do something bananas. But you might have new stuff that you want to add based on what's happened previously, or even things that perhaps didn't go as well as you would have hoped, or look good on the page but didn't come off at the table. Mm. It gives you opportunity to kind of like add extra support in and you know build up some bridges and put some timbers against things that are a bit shonky and all that kind of stuff what do you think to that i I think i think that's going to have to happen isn't it so if i get my copy of enemy within out and and i've been looking through it and i'm I'm trying not to get out the old copies of the books and do side by side comparisons because that's pointless what we want to have is what we want to have is a good game that's the agenda isn't it we want to have a good campaign we want to play some warhammer we've gotten some of the old gang back together and yeah, there's some nostalgia in it, but but if the game's no good, then that's all pointless, isn't it? So I just want yeah. to focus all my attention really on making the game as good as it can be with the tools that I've got. And as you're looking through it, you're thinking to yourself, okay, so the the guys at Cubicle Seven have done a really nice job of putting in little box outs, uh, little grognard callbacks, so that if I wanted to, I could change some scenes so that for the guys who have played this campaign before, because like. Uh, you know, for people who don't know, this is one of those campaigns that I know you've never actually played. It's one of the big no, ones, and you've not got it on your dance card, have you? Mm. Ever. So, and a couple of the guys in the group have played it before, but not for decades. So there's some little call-out boxes where I can change some scenes so that they they won't they won't uh, they won't mind um, about some of the scenes playing out in a slightly different order or with different NPCs or some secrets belong to other people or they're not in the place where they think they are. So they can't, I'm not going to use the word cheat, that's not what it's about <laughs> at all, but it's just they're not going to spoil themselves yeah. um, by playing through it. So Cubicle 7 have done some of that, but there's still going to be some work to do for me as well. And I think that's the big difference between the first time round and now this fourth or fifth time round, whatever it is, is I'm going to be way less beholden to what's on the page. Yeah. And much more, I'm going to try and use some of the GMing lessons I've learned over the years to make it about the players I've got in front of me and in you guys as players your plans you've got to be the stars of the show what you need to see happening is more important than perhaps what's happening with this NPC wizard who has to survive at a certain point to show up <laughs> later on yeah, yeah, yeah so I'm really sure. conscious of that really conscious and I think you know to help that happen um, we've, we've yet to make a decision but um, in one of the companions because as you were alluding to earlier some of these reissues are coming out with loads more notes attached to them like Mask's companion seems to be bigger than, than the original Mask's and <laughs> the enemy within books have all got companion volumes which expand them and give you some extra stuff and, and the very first one gives you the, the player characters from the very first time round um, and they're not in the main book they're not in the main enemy within campaign they're in the enemy within companion and it was so nice to see my old friends von der Veltschmerz and Kirsten Crank and Johann Dasput Rolux and all of the rest of them and then I looked and I flicked over the page and there was Harbel Furfoot who's a little halfling fellow nice chap and the first time I ran the campaign that character died in Death on the Reich and I remember we had his funeral 
and it was a really good role play session just about 20 minutes or so it's a really good scene and it was quite mournful and not not like our group at all to to dwell on these things and and a character death is just one of those experiences that you were talking about earlier it's definitely part of the memory but it's not written in the book you know that yes. character yeah, yeah. is that that funeral scene is not written in the book at all so are we going to go with the original PCs or are we going to generate our own because I think that will freshen it up and I don't want to just do a repeat of what we had last time you know because those kind of knowing looks at each other like oh do you remember when this happened to the halfling back when we played it in 1992 <laughs> <laughs> no no one needs that that would be a bit sad so I think I think just take take the, take the adventure go on it and our agenda has to be this has got to be a good game hold it to the same standard as we do every other game yes no, I think I think that's perfectly reasonable, uh, and everybody should think to do that anyway. Because uh, I, I ran some um, Pendragon for some of the guys, and I deliberately pitched it as going to be one of the old school classics, because yeah. for certainly most of them they hadn't played Pendragon before, and others had like maybe played it once or twice at a convention. So there's some stuff that's probably as familiar to me as I mean within STU, for example. Mm. I've been through several times. Uh, and it was interesting to put them through that stuff and see how how they thought about it um, and, and certainly for the for the initial sort of sessions they didn't know how to behave as knights like when you've played oh. sort of like half a dozen Pendragon campaigns you kind of got a shorthand and you know what you can do and what you can't and all this kind of stuff but when you're new to the game you're like I don't know what I'm supposed to do like, what, <laughs> what's my job like, what's, <laughs> are we allowed to hit peasants what, what goes on like what if someone lies to me am I allowed to do this can I arrest somebody what what do I do if I captured a bandit do you, mm. what do you do with them there's all these kind of stuff which made it interesting but it was good to go through those old adventures as well but like kind of do it almost as like a, a highlight reel because there's certain bits one of them for example is it's actually based uh, around Blackburn and Darwin and stuff where I'm from originally mm. um, but there's not a lot there in the adventure and you, it's not you a can, lot there in real life <laughs> yeah there's a lot of holes <laughs> as the Beatles said but you kind of go through a sequence of events and then the, the adventure as written is you go through it again but backwards and then you kind of get stuck in an infant leap and you're supposed to just keep going through it and through it and through it until eventually you work out how to get out of it I was just like looking at it now I'm pretty sure we we had some bad experience the first time I did that where the gem was being obstinate and we as players were just getting frustrated but we had like 14 hour sessions as he said to try and work it out well that clearly wasn't going to fly with our modern sensibilities no. there's no way online for a couple of hours I'm going to make the guys keep doing the same session until to get the bit right that the book says they're supposed to get right you've got to focus on the players and instead it was like providing the good beats the, you know, the, the big key scenes mm. and then don't worry about it when it says like oh at this point they need to roll a critical otherwise they can't proceed it's like oh shut up silly man in the book we're, yeah. gonna, we're just going to do what do you want to do players they come up with something cool and we say yes that works or you know we roll some dice to see how well it works and that kind of stuff so uh, there's still a lot of good stuff in those old uh, adventures and scenarios and campaigns uh, and I think that the secret is finessing it so that you, you make sure you get the good things out and get them to the table without worrying about perhaps some of the nuts and bolts that are holding it together in the background because they don't mm. quite work necessarily mm. yeah I, I think that's, that's definitely going to be the case There's um, we've got what 40 odd years of, of adventures published adventures out there now and uh, and some of them are classics for a reason absolutely no doubt about it at all and you know, and it can be quite good fun finding an old adventure from an old white dwarf that you never got around to playing yeah. at the time. And 
re-energizing that but you know i think with a very few examples you probably wouldn't run them exactly as they're written now no you, you can't do can you i mean i've um i've got some experience of uh, about a couple of years ago now i think i went to a convention i signed up to run a game and i thought i'd go old school and i wanted to run um, a dnd adventure out of white dwarf so i chose the Lichway, which i think is a fairly classic adventure so it's a great adventure one of Albi Fiori's and um, I always remember getting that one uh, when it was first out and I think it was in the best of White Dwarf scenarios it's an absolutely lovely little adventure I have nothing but but good memories about it I thought well why don't I play that and and while I'm at it why don't I play it with basic D&D it's a game that's you know readily available there's a million retro clones for it now it almost doesn't matter which one you get does it but but I had access to my old red books and my old Moldvay stuff so I did some characters which didn't take long and brought the Lichway to a convention. And it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> it was all right. But I tell you what, those nostalgia glasses started falling away and it wasn't wasn't really a fault with the scenario. But if you're a magic user and you've got one spell and that's what you do that day, do you know what? That's a crap idea. And I remember thinking it was then as well. Yeah. But yeah. it's still a crap idea. Having... <laughs> Having four hit points and a dagger in in fantasy Vietnam is not is not actually <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> so <laughs> no one's idea of a good time, is it? <laughs> no, but it looked like it should be. You know, let's get back to the old school, everyone. Loads of people going, yay, high fiving. Oh, I'm going to be a barbarian. Oh, I'm going to be a dwarf. Oh, I'm going to be this, and it is. And the idea was great, and and the Lichway scenario is really nice. It's got some really weird bits in it. You know, you you go into a room and there's a rape going on that's a bit odd and that's a bit jarring these yes, days and indeed. okay and I think I'll just put a post-it note over that um, but yeah it wasn't particularly a fault with the scenario at all but weirdly for me anyway and I know that people would be howling at their podcasters now going oh basic d and is the only one old school essentials is the way forward <laughs> well for me it wasn't it, it was um, it was a really good lesson that some things have moved on for a reason and certainly the players in that game they were all very polite and they all had a very nice time but I, I remember the guy playing the magic user just looking a bit crestfallen Could, yeah. couldn't find anything on his bit of paper to help him enjoy the four hour session or yeah. the thief who had a 8% chance of of doing their kind of signature move mm. so yeah. sometimes that nostalgia does lead you into a, into a tedious place <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, as you say, part of it is the nostalgia is the good times you had at the table, which aren't necessarily to do with the the, the rule set or the system or the mm. setting or the scenario or anything else. It could just be that you had good times with your mates. Uh, yes, I'm, as, I, as I just mentioned, I was, I'm looking at Request 2, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> and the more you look at it, the more it looks back at you. I mean, two minds. <laughs> I mean, I've ordered a lot of print-on-demand stuff and that, so I probably have to read it, but yeah, there's like it's one of those percentile systems and it's low skill chances yeah. and you know part of me initially is like oh no it'll be fun we'll just run it as it was and the other part of me is going yeah but if you've only got 25% of your best weapon and the opponent can parry that's <laughs> that's a recipe for a lot of dice rolls and nothing happening so I don't know there's things you can do you can add previous experience to characters and beef up the numbers and you can give bonuses for stuff or you can look at like not rolling as much and there's all kinds of things like that but I think, yeah, running straight out of the box, I think, can be problematic. Like you say, there's like some uh, scenes that you don't quite like the look of, or the system doesn't quite stand up the way you thought it might do, uh, and probably didn't at the time, but you didn't know any better. 
So I think I still will do Rune Quest T, but I kind of want to do it as a flavour of and try and yeah. mitigate some of the things that aren't quite right or don't, don't fit. One of the amusing things from the, the alternate attribute generation method that's in the back in the appendices, and it says something along the lines of that, you know, it gives about six different ways you can generate stats rather than just rolling 3d6 down the line, and then says, you know, PCs shouldn't die because of, you know, the, having poor characteristics. They should die because of bad player choices. Wow. <laughs> and that, that just makes me laugh. And that's, that's one of the things that I was talking about earlier about the way it's written sometimes is a little bit kind of there are only so many role players in the world and only so many role playing books and they were really finding the feet on how to do this but yeah the, having the ethos of the game around if players do something dumb you should punish them for it kind of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff as well is mixed in with a lot of this old school stuff and I think a lot of the systems certainly RuneQuest Warhammer Cthulhu all these others we're mentioning are quite lethal aren't they like first level D&D even when you've got it's... three hit points or something um it does make me wonder how certainly the longer campaigns were expected to go because I know everybody talks about they had the characters through the whole thing but looking at how the system worked I'm not sure how many people then were playing rules as written to make it all the way through these massive campaigns I don't, I don't think they were mate I think that's part of the nostalgia isn't it if you um, if you're realistic with yourself you think back to most of the D&D games that I played back in the 80s we would have a little bump up and it would be a house rule maybe sometimes like you know maximum hit points at first level because that's not rules as written that's a house rule yeah it seems like an obvious thing to say now doesn't it but you had to do that and you had you had your dms who would make sure that you had like a couple of decent spells off the first level spell list you didn't roll a d12 and find out you had like you know <laughs> comprehend languages was your one shot of the day so oh, we God, were always yeah. fixing it around a little bit or starting at level yeah. three or whatever it was you know yeah. but we always used to do stuff like that because i think the games were very very lethal definitely they were lethal and character death seemed to happen a lot more back in the day than it does now but that was that was kind of the the, the counterpoint to that though was the character generation was much quicker as well so, you know, coming up with a basic D&D character is the work of about five minutes, even with pencil and paper. Mm. You don't, it's not something you need a spreadsheet for. And, you know, much to my modern embarrassment, I don't think we can bother naming characters until they've been through a couple of adventures sometimes. Um, because they were pretty much disposable. And even with the more complex systems, like, you know, coming up with a, a, a traveller character was fun in the end of itself. Yeah. So you would you would roll up half a dozen of them. And if there was a death, you would you know pick one off the bench, wouldn't you? And they would like you know somehow be found as a stowaway in your scout ship. <laughs> yeah. So there was always that, and that that's part of the fun of the game. That sort of stuff doesn't happen so much in like you know the more modern editions. It's you know it's an effort to put together a fifth edition D and D character. It's a nice effort, but it is an effort even with D and D Beyond and the rest of it. You've got loads of little choice points mm. um, and loads of little decisions to make and. And you can have your character look and be any way you want to be, but it probably has to come from some sort of list and you've got to write it all down or put it on your sheet somehow. Um, so, you know, the, the random character generation seems to have been lost in the mist of history. Mm. And that was the counterpoint to the lethality, I think. I think. Yeah. It's difficult to remember, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, part part of the nostalgia I've got for Reinquest back in the day is we went through a lot of characters. Right. I can remember maybe two got to Rune Lord status, which is like as high as you get basically. But yeah, like most of them died early. 
and they died often and there was you know we played a lot of games and went through a lot of characters one of the benefits is that i got to play um a cultist of many different gods that exist in the world mm. whereas i think one of the things that happens say with D, for example these days is you, you pick your fighter and then you pick your path and you might have a two-handed sword and then you pick another couple of things and then you play that for ages yeah, yeah I think yeah. you know RuneQuest I played one of every other Lightbringer cults and several more besides within the same three months you know I've been, I've been through that many characters and there's something to be said for longevity and building your character up and all the relationships they have and you know the backstory and all this kind of stuff uh, but equally I think there is a benefit to be had from actually going through quite a lot of characters and um, there's an interesting aspect to certainly something like Enemy Within, for example, where you're on a journey and it's going to carry on going regardless of some characters dropping in and out. Because yes. there's the meme about like you know TPK and all the rest of it. But I think for those old games, what I remember distinctly is quite often it was one or two characters make it like you're a little halfling or whatever else. Like someone dies and everyone feels bad about it because you know they're going to have to start again almost. You know, not quite from scratch, but mm. they've got a newer character and you've got your old one with a notched sword and a magic item and various other things going on for them. And it'll be somebody else's turn down the line and somebody else will die and it'll rotate around like that. But that's that's an aspect of gameplay I remember from when I'm younger, whereas in the more probably secure stages for characters in more modern games and the way we play, that doesn't happen as often. You don't get that mm. rotation. You don't get the moments of character death and what that means to you as a group. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely the case. Um, and I think, and alongside that as well, there's a desire from my part. Well, the fact is, I'm quite a slow learner when it comes to a lot of things. I know I do want to go back and have another crack at these things as well. With, as you say, sometimes different characters um, or just different setups, whatever it is. I do want to go back and have another go because I'm, I'm a long way from having, I don't know, one mastered these games. Whatever you want to, whatever you want to say, there's so much new stuff, kind of constantly banging on the the window of my hard drive, trying to get into it. With every day, you know, there's a new, really, really cool thing out, and um, and I didn't finish the old stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I kind of want to go back and have another crack at it, but with with a little bit of modern tech gaming technology has definitely moved on there's no doubt about that I've got no desire to play White Plume Mountain with with 5th edition D&D uh, but I do want to play the enemy within campaign with the new Warhammer rules and I'm not going to be afraid to change some stuff up and I want to go back and have another crack at it I want the comfort of the old with the, with the you know with the with the, the bristle of the new stuff alongside it too with new players new technology we'll be doing it online which obviously wouldn't happen back in the day We've got all of the other community elements around it as well, where we can post up some stuff that's happening in our game, and and hopefully some people go, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that bit. Yeah, this is what we did, which never had the chance to do outside the letters page of White Dwarf. <laughs> it is like giving these things a new lease of life, isn't it? Going back and trying it again, but you know, when people say, oh, I wish I could go back and uh, do the stuff I was doing then with the knowledge I have now. Well, you can in role playing games, can't you? Mm. You can literally do that. Yeah, that's interesting. And it gives you a little bit of like having the compendium online, for example, so that players can dip into the effectively the SRD, whatever you want to call it. But like that's like back in the day when we had one copy of the rule book between us and I had to pass it around feverishly mm-hmm. in between turns, and that it gives you some of that element. And like you say, uh, talking about the Great Pandragon campaign or whatever it might be, that normally happens or used to 
at conventions where you, you yes. met someone else who played the game that you played and has been through that campaign you finally met someone who's been through your experiences and you get to share them with someone uh, but as you say we've got the internet now so there's, there's a world of people who've all been through that campaign that you can chat to yeah. which is quite interesting yeah shared experiences are a big deal you know that's why keep on the borderlands is such a classic scenario not because it's a classic scenario but it's because it's the classic scenario that everyone has at least had a go at yeah and they all know about the ogre in the temple and the giant rats and so on and that sort of shared experience that you could have a pint with somebody at a bar at a convention or you can have an online chat with someone from the other side of the world we've all been in the same dungeons and uh, and that's a really nice thing to do of course it doesn't mean that we're scared of new stuff or creating our own stuff or anything else like that at all but every now and again wouldn't it be nice to go back and visit some of those old stamping grounds literally and, uh, <laughs> stamp on some things while we're there <laughs> I'm looking forward to it I think it's going to be alright I hope <laughs> <laughs> well, if not there'll be some more podcast material in it anyway so. there will there will there will I mean I, I do wonder you know what it's like for people like Graham Davis to go back to that sort of stuff you know for the designers themselves to go back and get involved um, when you look at, uh, at reissues and, and revamps and, and sometimes it's the, it's the games the original games writer like wants to have another crack at it like uh, Robin Laws did with Feng Shui you know, a game from the 90s that he wanted to bring definitely into the 21st century so he was revising his own words and having another run up at it even back to like you know some of the additional stuff like the invention of Savage Worlds came from Shane Lacey Hensley's dissatisfaction with his own gaming system Yeah, um, and, it, and then turned it into that as well so you know there's loads of reasons for wanting to go back and tinker we can't stop doing it can we can't stop tinkering with the past to give ourselves future games gamers just want to tinker with stuff don't they it's very I don't know what it's natural. I, I guess it's a dirty word out there, but when people talk about like homebrew or home rules or house ruling or that kind of stuff, it's like viewed with some element of suspicion. And perhaps it's just the nomenclature now that's just got a, a sort of bad aftertaste to it and we should pick new words mm. which won't have the same connotations. But <laughs> I saw um, a post, a good friend of ours, Dr. Mitch, who's been on the show, who wrote Liminal. He was... Um, uh, chatted with a guy who was on the original Starfinder team and uh, who'd shared what he'd done in his DMs which was some guy having a go at him going why are you, oh, post yeah. why are you posting this Pathfinder stuff nobody cares about it you're, you're wasting my time with it and it's, it's like well you don't have to read it if you don't want to it's like this is the guy who was on the design team for Starfinder writing some Starfinder stuff and found them out there decided it wasn't good enough or like it wasn't yeah. official enough or I'm like well those people can go in the bin let's just get out there for starters for starters but there are people who design stuff that definitely want to keep going back and revisit it and refine mm -hmm. it and make it better and doing extra things and think about what if scenarios and that kind of stuff. And I think there's there's an endless appetite for it. If we look at you know Apocalypse World and Powered by the Apocalypse and Forging the Dark Games and all the rest of it, people love hacking stuff. How many different OSRs and versions of D and D are there out there now? It's just I think in gamer DNA because we want to like get involved with games and do different stuff and have agency and make decisions and and make things happen. So I think it's only natural that games as well that surround that hobby also people want to get in there with a spanner and mess about yeah. with it and have a tinker and change things and see what happens and make it suit their particular interests. Yeah, and with that in mind, I think there are, we discussed this offline, so let's see if we can move the conversation in this direction now. There are still, I think, there are some candidates for great games or great settings or great campaigns that never got properly served the first time around which people haven't gone back and done too much with. So 
we were talking about maybe some of those great settings that I probably don't have a huge amount of experience with because I probably bounced off the system first time mm. round. Um, and some of them have had new additions, whatever, what have you, and they'll always be diehard fans for anything. But I'm kind of also interested in going back to some of those things that I never did play back in the 80s, 90s, noughties, because they weren't, it just wasn't my scene at the time, whatever. What would it take to get them to my table or your table now, Gaz? What would it take, for example, for a game I know you loved so much back in the day, what would it take for you to start a Slay Industries campaign? Oh, quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so nostalgia's not going to be enough on its own then. For that one, yeah, it's an odd one. So, I have run slide industries using Savage Worlds, for example, which was fine, it worked great, you know, for what it was, but it did feel like a Savage Worlds game at that point. Mm. And the things the characters did and how careful they were felt like we were playing Savage Worlds to agree. There was a Slay dressing over it, but it didn't feel like Slay Industries. Equally, the Slay Industries system, the original one, is mathematically broken I can like it's, it's my go to when people say oh there's no such thing as wrong rules I can point you to the rules on that and go these are wrong <laughs> they don't yeah. make sense uh, and there's a new edition of it came out but even when the quick start for that came out the um, the sample scenario in it was very much your players have to do this and at this point this will happen it just felt like the guys rebooting it hadn't learned any of the lessons that we have and that's one of the things mm. that I kind of like sits in the back of my mind when I see designers returning to a game or that kind of thing it's have they actually had a broad horizon and looked at what's out there and taken on some lessons or just grown and developed as developers or are they just coming back and doing the same old stuff but with a slightly different car paint um, so Slay Industries I guess I want someone to pick up aspects of what the game was about uh, ostensibly and make rules to support that Mm -hmm. uh, and have stuff about maybe about the media are uncovering the truth and uh, the truth as, as it was was like leaked and was never supposed to be leaked but maybe a better truth put in the background and then how that's then informs what happens in the game and you know in aspects like you had to go and get BPNs to get work and one of the, the sort of mems of the thing was that you took your ages and it was like living through this hideous bureaucracy but like trying to make your players sit through that at a table and being bored isn't fun in and of itself. Like we, I get that in the game world this happens to the characters, but I don't want that to happen to me at a table. Like, like so yeah. let's let's find a better way of doing that while still letting people know about the Brazil-like bureaucracy that sits over everything, but not make that impact players, make it impact characters. So I don't know. I think there's definitely a space there for it, uh, but it would take a whole new system. And I think that what I saw from the second edition was a, a slightly different rework system and some anime style art and stuff and it didn't like I said the sample scenario just didn't read like someone had done enough other gaming and, and kind mm -hmm. of I don't want to say grown up that sounds too disparaging but you know what I mean like not got a broad enough experience of what could yeah. be done with it I think whereas if you look at something like for example A State yeah. which was written by a contest, Michael, Malcolm Craig at Contested Grounds originally and I think he, him and uh, Paul Bourne who did the art are back again uh, but that's got the Forge in the Dark engine behind it like a blade of the dark, but set in their very unique world, and I think that's that's a much better approach. You've taken a fresh engine and taken all the cool stuff because I think Airstate was kind of like an it was slightly later than Slay Industries, but had a similar sort of space in where it was meant to be a kind of dystopian future mm -hmm. and stuff. So um, 
that's a better example of an older game that they've gone, do you know what, let's put a whole new engine in there that we know is going to work and then revamp all the art and revamp all the writing and produce new scenarios and really give it some punch. So I think something like that would have to happen for Slay Industries to make me go back to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think I think there are there are designers and publishers who have exactly the same thinking. I think that's where, I think if Forged in the Dark wasn't a thing, A State Second Edition or the current Kickstarter wouldn't be a thing either. Right. It's it, it kind of had to go hand in hand, didn't they? Had to have the right engine to bring that chassis back into public view. Yeah. Uh, and to make it you know make it credible, essentially. Um, you know, I'm always interested to see the game, the classic games come back. I'm always going to keep an eye on what's happening with stuff like Blue Planet. Always going to yeah. keep an eye on stuff like like Slay Industries, as you say. You know, my beloved Earth Dawn's been through countless editions by this point and variants and what have you. Um, none of the later ones have particularly stuck with me, not because they're not any good or anything else like that. Um, I don't pretend to know whether they're any good or not. They just haven't for one reason or another. Um, I think we've all got our kind of we've got our great white whales haven't we of our, our, our almost scenarios our almost games that just didn't quite fly at the time but we still wish they would I mean I would dearly dearly love to get a really good session in Shadowrun and my goodness me I've tried across various editions what have you and I've got <laughs> a lot of love for that universe and, and the setting and you know, I've, I've read more novels of Shadowrun than I've played successful games of it which, which is some feat I would love to give that a go I can't see it happening unless, like you just said about Slay, it gets a fundamental working up from, from the ground up again. And, and interesting, you know, Forged in the Dark might be the one to do that, <laughs> as it is with so many things. Indeed. Another one it might work for is a Cyberpunk type setting, Cyberpunk 2020, or that, that kind of stuff. Because mm. I know Cyberpunk Red's out, and we've talked to a few guys who said they'll give us a one shot, but the reports I'm backing him from the troops, this is all hearsay, so I can't, I can't say for sure, but. The, the system's not that much different than it was back in the day. Like it, mm-hmm. it's changed, but it's of a similar style and a similar mindset from a design point of view and that kind of stuff. And it feels like there should be more you can do with it, you know. Yeah. And um, like reviewing those kind of old games, you kind of want to, whether it's Shadowrun or Cyberpunk, you kind of look at like how do I do hacking things? Because you've got the old problem that one guy's a hacker and spends half an hour talking to the gym and everybody else sits around twiddling their thumbs. So, so how would you do that? Like how is that involved in the game? And I know in one of the more modern iterations of Shadow, they kind of do, you can do hacking on the fly and kind yeah. of hack into people's smart links and do it in, in the combat round and stuff. But there's all kinds of aspects like that. But how would you get the dystopian future? How does that impact characters? How do they impact the world? What what are they doing there beyond just a basic skill system? I think there's a lot more modern games that have design focus on, on what what are we doing here? What are the characters up to? And how do how do we do more of that and make that highlighted rather than just give people a bunch of generic skills and roll against some target numbers yeah I, I agree Matt I think my favourite my favourite modern games are the ones which look at the core activity first maybe even just look at the scenarios first what sort of things are you going to be doing and then they build the system around making sure that that happens rather than building some kind of physics simulator and <laughs> dropping a setting into that that's no slight against your toolkit games. I have a lot of fun with toolkit games. Savage Worlds being the poster child for, for my favourite toolkit game. And and I know people have to prize GURPS books out of, out of dead hands on occasion. Uh, but for me, uh, I like those games where it's been built around that single concept. So, you know, Blades in the Dark, which I keep coming back to, um, is, is built around heists. And every single bit of that game is like a Swiss watch. Everything connects to everything else. 
And I think actually if you take a piece out, the watch probably completely stops working and just spins off with springs flying everywhere. Um, but as a whole, it absolutely delivers on its concept. So concept first, build the game around that. And that's yeah. where when I am feeling nostalgic and I want to go back to something like Shadowrun, you think, well, that's got to be about doing heists in a sort of a techno near future, hasn't it? It's got to be about slick cities with trails and style and and uh, mono bikes and and that's what it's got to be about. And and its old systems didn't necessarily deliver that feeling, not Correct. the feeling that you would get as you're reading through the books or just looking at the front cover. And that's where the shame was. So you know the nostalgia in me thinks, oh, missed opportunity. Want to go back and do that, but because no one's quite written that game yet, I don't know if I'm going to be the one to do it. Mm. So because there, there is a, you know, if you were going to bring Slay Industries back to your table, I know you've done it with Savage, but that's not an inconsiderable amount of work, is it? No, and there was another uh, fan base product, and they did a sort of like, uh, I think it was like I don't know, like a ninety-six page book or something. Like it was like a mm. big effort to put together a Savage version that was available on the internet for a bit. But then it, it does still feel like Savage Worlds and using a toolkit, so it feels a bit like lots of other Savage Worlds games that you might play. And the same happens with GURPS and all the other toolkit systems, as you've mentioned. Um, yes, Blue Planet was one I was going to touch upon, because that, again, it had two diff very different systems uh, of the first couple of editions, but they both were simulationist, I guess we call it. If, that, mm -hmm. if that's what you want to go for, like yeah, I think so. That's fair. Yeah. There's, there's stuff in the setting or in the system rather that said things like if you get shot, it should hurt and it should take you weeks to recover. Mm. You think okay, that's fine, but then what happens to a character when they get shot? And it takes them weeks to recover. Does everybody stop? Does one play not? Do you have to have an extra character? What what happens? Yeah, and it was a game obviously written initially by someone who cared because there was all kinds of stuff about like pressure and the bends and how you come up from. Like airlocks have to acclimatize, and how you come back from a deep dive, and uh, all things about cetaceans and sea life and all that kind of stuff. So, lots of really great detail. But what was missing for me, and then over like three editions or something, I've still not really seen is like, but how do you bring the cool stuff out of that and make it gameable? And, and that's the bit that's missing. Like, it may well be that if you get shot and it goes through like you know your abdomen, it will take you three to six months to recover from that injury. Mm. Like, and you know. I hope none of our listeners get shot or us for that matter. But I don't want that to be my game. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, I want a way around that. If I'm playing a sci-fi game, I want to go in a back to tank or something. Or the system has some uh, troop play element so that you will have backup characters. Or you can play an AI and get plugged into something. Or you know whatever it might be. And that's just one trivial example. But the other thing with Blue Planet was like there's quite a lot of different stuff you could do, and the the game didn't really give you guidance on what to do it's kind of like it's up to you you yeah. can deal with like the indigenous species or you can be eco-terrorists or you can be corporations or you can be visitors you can be fresh on the planet or you can be fighting a corporate war it's like, okay, these all sound kill things but you're not really telling me how to make any of these work or how they work together and there's some good scenarios which is good but again for, for Blue Planet I'd like to see a new Blue Planet that, that does the blades in the dark thing but for being on an ocean world or for being near future sci-fi or something like that. I think there's the space to develop a particular set of structures beyond just like what the shape dash are all to, to really make that setting come alive. Yeah, I think that there's more to a game than its core mechanic. 
Yes. I think sometimes sometimes people talk about a system and they're not talking about a system at all, they're talking about just the core mechanic. That's right, yeah. Whether that be a hand of cards or a D20 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's way more to a system than that. You know, the GM's advice chapter is part of the system, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And it needs to be tailored to that experience. And that's when when I get nostalgic about games that we played, it was all about the experiences of playing those games, not the experience of reading the rule book. So if the game never gets to the table because the system gets in the way, then it can't it can't graduate to being something that you think about afterwards. You, know, <laughs> right. you can't have any memories of the games you didn't play. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's really important. I think that that game systems el- enable you to have the experience that you want. And that sounds like a really trite thing to say. But some of them actively fight against that. They fight against the experience they're they're projecting, mm. and, and 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 some of them have been doing it for a very very long time now, which is why I get a bit frowny face about games. And I don't mean to rag on Shadowrun particularly, but I think it's kind of almost universally appreciated that the system setting matchup is not necessarily ideal. ideal. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily, yeah. And you can say that about many games that have been through iterations. But it's also it's a game that just won't die much like your White Wolf games that I know mm. you have a lot of love for. Vampire 5 is, feels like a very new game to me in a very, very old setting now. This is like a 90s set of games and you know I'm nostalgic for things like Mage and Wraith. They were like my favourite elements of the old World of Darkness. Would not get those games back off the shelf and play them as written now. Got a chance. I remember that you and I started playing the Orpheus campaign, which I thought was a lovely piece of work. Mm. No intention of getting it off the shelf and running it as is, but very nostalgic about those things. Yeah, I'm wondering what it would take to get me to play those again. I don't think I'd sign up for con games of those if people said I'm running a Wraith game using the original rules. I still don't think that would be enough, um, but I think I would try it with something different or something bespoke or inspectors or Numenera rules or whatever it was that someone was bringing to the party I would like to get back into those games could you could you get your White Wolf 90s vibe back easily do you think guys I'm trying trying I'm, trying. I'm currently putting together a Vampire Dark Ages one shot then I'm going to try with our normal group because one of the guys is on holiday so I'm going to try and give that a bit of a bash hmm. and in the end I've decided to use the new real set the V5 set right just because it's got some good bits in it I think um, again, it's, White Wolf is definitely the poster child for what the book says the game's about, and then what the system does are two very different things. Yeah, <laughs> they're just not related at all. Uh, so I'd love to play a vampire using Hot War, for example, because it should be about hidden agendas, and you know it, it would just fit perfectly. Uh, and a good friend of the show, Stockyman, did a little treatment of it and how disciplines would work and all this kind of stuff. So that would definitely work, but. Yeah, V5, again, it's, it's an interesting one because if you listen to like Red Moon and some of the other uh, live-action or actual player podcasts that do it, even with people who are writing for Onyx Path and all the rest of it now, there's actually very little system in there. There's you know it, Quite a lot of it's just the character interactions, and it could be a, a radio-audio drama or something like that, to, to a greater logical extent. And I find that really curious because there is some like really nitty-gritty... Uh, mechanical difference that's happened to the system like the new hunger mechanics really good and messy criticals and a few other things like really make a difference but then the stuff like resonance and different flavoured bloods and stuff I think it's just this is all stuff that's not going to see play I can see why as a designer it makes sense but when the people who write the scenarios are doing their actual plays they don't use most of the rules I kind of it just reinforces that feeling that the rule set that you've got isn't isn't how most people play the game 
or isn't supporting the player that happens a lot of the time so it's um it's a bit of um not love hate but um i can see both sides of the coin of white wolf games there's a lot of mm. good stuff there there's really rich backgrounds some might say over britain there's lots of purple pros but there's, there's plenty to get your teeth into if you'll excuse the pun for vampire <laughs> but but equally you almost feel like you're using the system not a fight you're not fighting against it like i say it's not quite at the extremes of this it's somewhere in the middle but it does feel as a mismatch there and it'd be nice to have something different i think i definitely would use hot war if i was going to a vampire campaign if i got the chance i think that would work a lot better because if that gives you more space to talk about stuff with less dice rolling which seems to be how a lot of people want to play a vampire and it's therefore interesting that people can get quite like people down a hill about systems won't they certainly get this with cthulhu yes. fans for example about brp and stuff and that's a similar one that the way I see Cthulhu played a lot of the time involves oh we have the rule of dice all slash it's like okay that's fine that's cool I've done that myself but then why do you get so uptight about slight rule changes in the BRP system because it seems that most of the time you play you don't use it and so, so there's that kind of thing and I think that ties back a little bit I'm going all the place here sorry about that but hmm. that kind of nostalgia thing a lot of the old school games were the D hundred type games, and a lot of time people just wanted to roll some percentiles and then make stuff up and carry on going. And it was more about the stories they were making and the character interactions and getting immersed in the world and all that kind of stuff. And the system was very much secondary. And I think in the more modern age, there's a lots of system stuff you can use to help with the story stuff that mm -hmm. we didn't used to have. Uh, so it's an odd one. Yes, vampire, werewolf. Wraith, Mage, all those games. There's still lots of good stuff there, and I'm definitely going to dive into it. Um, but it's probably partly in spite of the system rather than the system helping. Yeah, I, th I think that's fair, mate. I think I think that's absolutely fair. There's there's no doubting that games with terrible systems, you can still have very very good experiences, and people do on a regular basis. Uh, and sometimes people play an entire decades-long campaigns using a suboptimal system because they don't use that system that's why that's what that's it plays yeah. they don't use that system and that's absolutely fine there are plenty of people myself among them i played a very very long or more than one campaign with advanced dungeons and dragons but if we're really honest we weren't really playing advanced dungeons and dragons a lot of the time we certainly weren't using the comeliness stat thanks very much and <laughs> we were opening the basic rule book for some of the monsters and you know, we were levelling up when we thought it was appropriate and all of those things and that was absolutely fine and natural but of course back then as well you wouldn't be writing into Dragon Magazine every month defending the system that you weren't using because it wouldn't be necessary because it would be it would be absolutely assumed that what you did around your own table was up to you mm -hmm. you know so if it's working for you guys then happy days but then you don't necessarily have to go out and, uh, and die on that hill of, of your system no, um, and we can all take it personally sometimes, can't we? With systems, <laughs> it's easiest to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm perfectly happy to say that I'm a big fan of Shadowrun, but I can't play it, and the system <laughs> won't let me. And I don't like the system, but that doesn't stop me being a fan of Shadowrun. Yes, uh, yeah, or a yeah. fan of the people who play Shadowrun, or the people who design it. Frankly, you're all good people in my eyes, but it's just the mix isn't right for me. Yeah, and as always with the podcast, all the stuff we talk about now is just our preferences. It doesn't mean to say that anyone else is having bad, wrong fun, or can't or shouldn't do something else. Yet other opinions do exist. Absolutely. And I think when we're talking about is it possible to go back to the loves that you had years, sometimes decades ago, I think it absolutely is possible. I think it's even encouraged these days. Um, and looking at Kickstarters and 
how publishers are acting and the sort of things they're bringing out in prestige formats it's absolutely a thing will it be the way it was back then well i don't think it can be and that's all right so for me we'll see how it goes but i'm looking forward to giving it a go eyes wide open and i'm not going to be beholden to old tech just because it's vintage right. if you know if we've got slicker ways of getting the same output i think we'll go for that and let's not tell let's not tell the designers eh? i'm sure they wouldn't mind anyway absolutely and most of these old school books have that golden rule in saying do what you want this is your book now play it how you want change things you know that that's always been in role playing books as long as I can remember and there's actually lots of really good scenarios as we've mentioned and good campaigns and you might run them exactly as written and some things might need a post-it note sticking over or some extra bits putting in or whatever but there's actually tons of really good writing and good ideas and great characters and nice setups and cut cutscenes and you know action pieces and whatever else so yeah definitely worth going back and reminding yourself of some of the great writing and work that's been done over the last 40 years or more well talking of nostalgia we probably could go on for many more hours but that's enough for our listeners I suspect as the hour's up so let us get our cup of Horlicks and retire with our old books from back in the day with the yellow pages <laughs> and uh, and leave three of them and get all misty eyed about the games we used to play when we were 19 and at university yeah let's start making some little handouts of our school exercise books and dipping them in tea and, uh, <laughs> and preparing ourselves for the for the next time we can get around a real table which I think is is now nostalgic as well isn't it it, it is it yeah. feels like people <laughs> blow the dust off your dice it's coming soon I think yeah and uh, a big thanks to all our Patreon supporters anyone who supports us on uh, social media has a chat with us gets in touch gives us questions topic ideas guest suggestions all that kind of stuff uh, without you guys we would not carry on to do this probably I mean to be fair me and Baz would probably chat we'd just we'd not, probably re- good, yeah, we'd yeah. not record it anymore that's the, that's the only difference but yes thanks thanks Patreon supporters particularly and we hope you enjoy the Happy Patreon which we're now producing every month with all kinds of puzzles articles scenario bits and other tidbits for our, our supportive listeners yeah let us know if there's anything else you want in the Happy Patreon by the way please do join our Patreon campaign it really does keep the wheels on this car um, and that that little mini zine that we send out every month is becoming a, a thing of joy that's going to be compiled up at the end of the year I'm sure and it's turning into quite a nice little body of work now um, but yeah, don't be shy if you want to be a contributor as many of our patrons have been in the past uh, get in touch through the usual channels we'd love to see your stuff in there we'll see if we can uh, make it look all pretty on the page and, um, and there'll be plenty more of that to come so thank you patrons for inspiring us to do that every month all good and if you have any classic campaigns or things that you think we should look at or have not mentioned or you just have uh, misty eyed tears of joy even at the mention of do let us know on the socials at Bat Stevens or at the underscore smart underscore party on the Twitters because uh, we'd like to hear what those old classics are that still uh, warm your cockles on the soon to be winter nights 